Hello, and welcome back, Open Your Hymnal listeners. My name is Zach Stahowski. And I am Matt Reichert. I cannot believe that Advent is already staring us in the face. Somehow, uh, every year, it manages to get busier and busier. I don't know about you, Matt. You know, that's really true. And of course, that makes it really difficult for those of us who love Advent. I, I really enjoy the traditions and the rituals and the music of this season. And, and usually it's something, of course, that we just skip right over and, and get to Christmas. You know, it doesn't help that it begins in stores already way back in October. And when I look back on all of the interviews we've done for Open Your Hymnal so far, of course, there are many standouts. But I know for me, uh, one of the great highlights was getting to interview Dan Cantor on his song, Night of Silence. I think primarily because Dan is not someone who we often see at a lot of the conferences or uh, workshops that uh, we attend. So to actually get to spend this time with him was, was really remarkable. And really, that's one of the sort of happy byproducts of this podcast and this program, that that we get to hear from composers that sometimes we don't always get to see or hear from. And and not only to talk about their music, but oftentimes just to learn more about them and, and some of the surprising talents and interests that many of them have. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that in addition to being an outstanding composer, Dan is also a gifted graphic artist. And recently, a crossword puzzle that he authored was featured in the New York Times. So, you know, go figure. So please enjoy our conversation with Dan Cantor, our very first Advent episode, first broadcast back in December of 2017. I remember being very worried about this episode because of all of the episodes and seasons. How do you pick one song to talk about for Christmas? I think what maybe made that a little bit easier is that this song, Night of Silence, was one of the songs I remember over our meal of dumplings when we first first hashed out the idea of the podcast. This was one of those songs that we said, man, we got to do this song. Yeah, I I remember it differently. I think you said we need to talk about Silent Night and we should get someone to be a proxy for Franz Gruber. And I thought you meant the villain from Die Hard. But I I guess common mistake. Common mistake. (laughs) No, you're right. I mean, I think when when I look at our parish hymnal and I look in the Advent and Christmas section, there, there of course, are a a wide variety of things that that we could have talked about, a wide variety of pieces we could have selected. And please, God, this will not be our last Advent Christmas episode. We'll have plenty of years to, to come. But when it comes down to our first and and a piece that that really has spread, become ubiquitous, is present in churches, is present in Advent services and concerts throughout the world, Uh, Night of Silence is really it. Yeah, I mean, to make a comparison to our very first episode um, on Eagle's Wings, there are not many songs that have reached outside of the hymnal uh, to the degree that Night of Silence has. Absolutely. And and I hope that through our conversation today with Dan Cantor, not only are we able to talk about the song or maybe aspects of the song that might be new to our listeners, even though they're very familiar with the piece, but also that we can, we can consider in a broader way the importance and the need, especially today, for Advent, for a robust 
celebration and observance of Advent and this, this incredible season of hope. So please open your hymnals to Night of Silence. Cold are the people, winter of life. Hi, uh, my name is Dan Cantor, and I am a uh, liturgical music composer, choral music composer. I'm a brand strategist and designer. I live in Bloomington, Minnesota, and I'm the composer of Night of Silence. Flowers that will echo the It was autumn in my, I believe, my sophomore year at the College of St. Thomas. I was also in graduate music theory. The effect that that had on me is, that, is music was becoming much more abstract, maybe more intellectual. And I spiritually felt like I was losing touch with an artistic sensibility that I had to express. I was doing a lot more thinking about music and a lot less expressing of music. This was a time in my life too where I believe in hindsight that I was a bit depressed. Uh, I was struggling with my sense of self, uh, my place in the world. Uh, I don't even know if I had declared a, a major yet at that time. I was really on the fence between architecture, pre-med, music, um, anyone who knows me would tell you that I have a lot of interests. <laughs> and this did have an effect on me at that time. So the, the, to sh- keep the story shorter, uh, I was in need at that time to reconnect uh, on a number of levels. And uh, I went to a retreat up in uh, Superior, Wisconsin. And during that retreat, I was sitting in a chapel and I was looking out at this light through these thick glass block windows. And it was around October, cloudy day, and it had the effect of creating this white light coming through the windows that reminded me so much of what the light looks like in wintertime when, when the sun bounces off the snow and, and filters that light in, in a very unique way. It felt like Christmas to me. And it was really at that moment where this idea to craft a piece of music that you could sing simultaneously with Silent Night hit me. Now, this was not anything new to me. I had been doing this this thing called a quod libet or, or quod libet, <clears throat> where you take one melody and pair it with another. I, I had done this many times before. Uh, this, I think, was a logical extension of that, and I think it was my first shot at trying to do that in a way that was become much more public. Um, but that's when the idea hit me. So I, uh, I had no business taking time out of my college career at that time to, to work on music for my own sake. I had lots of work to do, uh, but I did it anyway. And I started experimenting with deconstructing Silent Night. Uh, I took it apart note by note, chord by chord. It's not that complex of piece, but you really do need to deconstruct it in order to put, put it back together in a way that, that could sustain... And, and support a brand new melody. So it took a new harmony that could accept Silent Night, toss out Silent Night, add a new melody to the new harmony, and there you have this piece of music that supposedly would work together.
All right, I'm going to pause us here because a new term has been introduced into our podcast lexicon, quod libet. And Dan talks a little bit about what what this concept is, having two different melodies that work being sung simultaneously. Um, And he explains a little bit about the process or the elements of it, but he does it in a way that makes it sound pretty straightforward. And I know it to be far more complex. So, Zach, I'm wondering if you could walk us through a little bit um, what it really means to take an existing melody and reharmonize it so that a new melody can be sung along with it. Yeah, so in in the original or, you know, your most typical harmonization of Silent Night, what you would get is something like this. Round yon virgin mother and child Holy infant so tender and mild So in the key of A major, it just is an alternation between a D major chord and an A major chord, or the four and the one. Um, What Dan does, and so if we think of the same spot, um, and I'm still going to use the Silent Night melody so that we know where we are. Dan does this. Round yon virgin mother and child Holy infant so tender and mild So a couple interesting chord things happen there. On the word child, we get the F sharp minor chord. And then on mild, we get the F sharp major chord. And that becomes even more um, meaningful when we use uh, the melody of Night of Silence in Dan's text. So here, let me illustrate what happens there. So in this part of the song, it's... uh, Frozen in the snow lie roses sleeping Flowers that will echo the sunrise. So it's so beautiful how he paints the text here because if we look at the verses, uh, on the F sharp minor chord, we get the words sleeping softly and lonely, you know, painted well by the minor chord. But on the F sharp major chord, um, which is, you know, just this lovely move. It's a five of two chord. Um, we get the words sunrise, embracing, and sun's love. So again, you know, this this harmonic progression makes the phrase like an eight bar phrase rather than, you know, silent night, which is, you know, alternates between the two chords. So it's, you know, I just can't help but geek out about this kind of stuff because it's just, it's just so well done. Today, we're also pleased to bring in the voice of Rob Straczynski, someone who was a mentor for Dan early in his career while he was in college, um, and someone who plays an important role in this piece coming to light. Uh, In the end, then the next challenge was to craft the text, and that's where Rob Straczynski comes in. Rob, at the time, was the director of the 
liturgical choirs of St. Thomas and St. Catherine. He was a great mentor of mine. And at, up to that point, had used a lot of my music in the liturgical music program. Uh, so I told him about this piece I was writing, and I, I showed him my first draft. Musically, he liked it. My text, uh, he wasn't a big fan of. Um, <laughs> and he all but told me that. Well, I remember specifically sitting at my desk when he came into my office, not with Night of Silence or not with a song, but he came in with an idea. And the idea was creating a melody to go with Silent Night, which I think maybe he knew was called a quadlibet at, at that time, but he didn't have music. He had a notebook. Um, it was a piece of paper, and it was text only. He only had words. It was a piece of poetry. And he explained the concept, the structure, and he asked me to read it. And it, I liked the idea of pairing a new melody with Silent Night, but his text needed some work, I thought. Um, I, I was being gentle with this young man who had a good idea, but there, there really needed to be some, I thought, imagery, some metaphor is the word I used, and I think um, I threw out some ideas about metaphor and gave him some ideas of hymns to look at that had richer texts, um, and I said, take it away and let's see what you can do with it. So he pulled out a piece of music by by Mike Jonkis to... Sh- to to illuminate for me the idea of writing in metaphor. And keep in mind now I'm 20 years old, maybe 21, uh, fresh out of northern Wisconsin, and I wasn't entirely familiar with the idea of metaphor at the time. (laughs) So uh, he taught me, he showed me this piece of music by Mike Jonkis that was written in metaphor, and it was striking, and it was beautiful. And I'll I'll never forget the image it put in my head of this black velvet sky with with stars thrown up against the velvet like diamonds uh, I don't quite remember the tune um, but anyway it a light bulb went off and it went back and started all over with the text and uh, he also encouraged me to look at my own personal life my own personal experience and that's where northern Wisconsin came in so uh, long story short I came up with a second draft I showed it to Rob and he just loved it um. He came back not long after, and there it was. Cold are the people. And it was transformed into this, I thought, a beautifully crafted you know, feeling, a feeling of the season, which was really Advent. That's the text, Night of Science. Um, and it flowed into Silent Night, as we all know, magically. We kind of continued this conversation, and I think probably a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor, but it really it really came out like that, you know, Dan, in his writing of this text, really kind of honed his ability to write metaphor for the first time, um, you know, to really, you know, 
kind of craft the way that he would evoke certain images. <laughs> and for your first attempt out of the gate to have these gems like, you know, flowers that will echo the sunrise and star unknowing of night and day or breathless love awaits darkened souls, you know, <laughs> as someone who's trying to write text myself, it just was, um, it was pretty humbling. You know, I, I I love this piece for a variety of reasons, but at the top of the list has to be this evocative text. I mean, and, and many of the lines that you mentioned are some of my favorites. Um, you know, uh, frozen in the snow lie roses sleeping. I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful. And you're right. It is, it is amazing how Dan talks about how, you know, he didn't really know what metaphor was. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, figured it out and went back and <laughs> pulled this out of the bag. But one of the things I appreciate is the amount of work that he put into studying Advent and getting schooled on Advent in order to craft this text. And so what strikes me about its uniqueness is not that he necessarily says anything new. These are images and metaphors and phrases and words that we can see all over the last 2,000 years or so of, of Christian history, but that he didn't go just to other Advent hymn texts and in fact shied away from other Advent hymn texts and instead went to the content that's at the heart of Advent in order to write a new Advent hymn text. And I found that interesting that instead of of this kind of, um, you know, one hymn text being based on a, a different distillation of other texts, he just went back to the source, back to the well. And boy, I, I mean, it really pays off. So the first draft being what Rob would say, schmaltzy and cliche, uh, was an opportunity for him to also remind me that we are in the season of Advent right now. And he said, it It sounds to me, he looked at my text and some of the imagery that I was, I was exploring, he said, it's looking and sounding to me like you want to be more in the Advent season rather than the Christmas season. Silent Night is associated with I think more so with Christmas than with Advent. So that critique and that observation uh, was a huge opportunity for me because it, it, when I went back to the drawing board, I spent probably two months researching Advent. And again, I'm just a punk out of northern Wisconsin. I, I, I didn't know a lot about Advent. I just knew that that's the name of a season that happens before Christmas. Its intent, its purpose, its liturgical uh, context uh, wasn't something that I knew a lot about. So I reached out to a number of people. In the end, I think one of the reasons why the, the text in Night of Silence works so well with Silent Night is, is if you think of it more in terms of, uh, of, let's say, cinema or film, if these are scenes, uh, I'm crafting imagery in the opening scenes that are very dark, that precede the birth of Christ. They do not uh, repeat it. It's not a redundant um, exploration of the birth. It's a description of, uh, well, we're really setting the scene. It's almost the prequel to Silent Night, if you could think of it that way. So as you're hearing these two texts come together, I think what your mind is doing is it's conjuring this, this combination of imagery that goes from dark to birth, to winter cold, to light, to harsh wind, to whispers on the ear, uh, 
there's a lot of contrast there, and there's a lot of, of uh, counterpoint. And I think when, when those come together the way that it's done you know, harmonically, I think it creates this very rich scene, in a sense, in your mind's eye. Even though it's a sonic experience, uh, there's a lot of imagery in this piece that uh, I think suggests a, a, a visual experience as well. You know, it's interesting that you mention Advent and Dan's work um, concerning, you know, the study of Advent as he uh, wrote this text, because I would venture to guess that for many people, they experience this song at Christmas, um, probably most likely due to the fact that it's coupled coupled with uh, Silent Night, and we often don't sing that song until Christmas. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the... the one of the bigger problems, of course, whenever you're talking about a season like Advent, is the fact that most people really don't experience the season of Advent at all. And I don't mean that people aren't aware of Advent. I think it, you know, it it passes through their minds, or they they consider it when they're at liturgy, or they they see the wreaths, or they might they might have certain traditions. But the fact that at least culturally. Christmas does not wait for December 25th. Christmas now starts the weekend of Thanksgiving, or I don't know about you, but for us, our radio station starts playing Christmas music the Friday before Thanksgiving. That, you know, considering the fact that in every place but our churches, Christmas starts in mid-November, or if you're in Target, shortly after Halloween, um, I think that also makes this image and the consideration of the Advent message that much more difficult, which is really too bad because especially again in the times that we're in, a message of hope and a whole season that can instruct us for how do we keep our lamps burning and remain watchful and remain hopeful is exactly what we need now and we skip right past it for the Christmas glory. And I think that's I think that's really too bad. I think it's a real loss for us spiritually. One of the things that I've been thinking a, a lot about is, you know, this season of Advent, what it means. And I think you're right, being watchful, being hopeful. But we are Christians, Catholics in 2017. We're on this side of salvation history. We um, you know, are believers in uh, the resurrection, the incarnation. We know that these things happened. Um, and so I, I'm often conflicted then about is, is Advent supposed to be a time where we forget that the incarnation ha- it, obviously, you know, it, it is preparing for the incarnation that we know is to come. And so so that being said, you know, I, I wonder what really this the distinction is between a Christmas song and an Advent song. Yeah, I think I think that I mean you raise a you raise a good question, and I don't think that 
you know, the way our liturgical year is structured or the way the lectionary is structured is that at the end of the liturgical year, we all get scriptural amnesia and suddenly forget what happens. Nobody goes away <laughs> from Good Friday services just dejected and on Sunday goes, holy cow, it happened. You know, what's what's going to occur on Saturday? You know, I mean, we know that. And, and so I, I think you're right. I mean, we can't for we know about the incarnation because it happened and we can never forget it and we can never stop seeing the incarnation and its effects all around us. But we can't also just dwell on the incarnation at the expense of knowing what it means to watch and wait and what it means to live in hope also. And so I think when we focus only on the message of Christmas and we don't continually remind ourselves that we still live in a condition of hope and waiting and watching, you know, we can't do that just like we can't only think about the resurrection and not also be aware of all of the times that the Paschal mystery plays an important role in our lives too. So I don't think it's a matter of during Advent, we forget about Christmas. I think it's a matter of by jumping the gun to Christmas, we deny ourselves the opposite side of the equation that's so important for our own spiritual lives and, and it's such an important lens through which we view our place in the world and our relationship with God. Yeah, the imagery of just waiting and being hopeful is so explicit in the text of Night of Silence. You know, as you as you were saying that, Matt, you know, the liturgist and me started to think that maybe during Advent you can, you know, pray these verses of Night of Silence, and but yet only on Christmas then do you introduce Silent Night as like this new component that then you know shifts our our perspective now to, um, you know, that message of Christmas. And, you know, the places, I agree, the places that I have been a part of, the, the communities I've been a part of that I think have used this piece most effectively have done exactly that. Um, we've prayed it as an Advent piece, um, starting with the first Sunday of Advent, maybe with the first stanza and building through Advent. And, you know, especially with only three verses, by the time we get to the fourth Sunday of Advent, um, there might be the addition purely instrumentally of the melody of Silent Night. Nobody sings it yet because we're still in Advent, but it's that that reminder of the incarnation. It's that foreshadowing, but also the recollection so that that you know, real payoff when we get to sing Silent Night happens at Christmas. And that's a really, really powerful message. You know, another another way to think about this, and I, I, you know, hearkening back to what I was saying before about the importance of both the incarnation and and Advent, just like the importance of the resurrection and the Paschal mystery. Um, Rachel Held Evans, who's one of my favorite, you know, Christian bloggers and authors, um, recently wrote something that I've seen going around Facebook. And in a blog post, she writes called "An Unsentimental Advent." She she writes the following. Um, God did not wrap himself up in flesh, humbling himself to the point of birth in a stable and death on a cross, 
eating, laughing, weeping, and suffering as one of us so that I can complain to management when a barista at Starbucks wishes me happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. (laughs) The incarnation isn't about desperately grasping at the threads of power and privilege. It's not about making some civic holiday bigger and better. It's about surrendering power, setting aside privilege, and finding God in the smallness and vulnerability of a baby in a womb. And and I love that passage. And the whole blog post is great. But I love that passage because I think that probably and certainly in a more articulate way illustrates what I was trying to say before that for me, not only to celebrate the awesomeness of the incarnation, I need Advent, but also for me to understand what the incarnation actually is, I need Advent. For me to understand the amazing awesomeness of the resurrection and what the resurrection actually is, I need to understand Paschal mystery and death. And and so I think, you know, Advent isn't this void of knowing or knowledge of the incarnation. It helps me understand and put the incarnation in its appropriate context where I can understand it's about surrendering power and setting aside privilege instead of just this time when, you know, I get presents and eggnog and get to listen to a lot of Bing Crosby. I worked with a priest once who was very adamant about any whiffs of Christmas happening uh, during Advent. And he would always say, perhaps half jokingly, that Jesus isn't born yet. And I I, I think, um, you know, I wish I had had your the, the blog post that you just cited because you're exactly right. I mean, we're encountering Christ all the time. And, you know, Advent gives us that certain kind of perspective to just appreciate all of those encounters all the more. It had never really been done anywhere publicly yet until the next year. And that next year, Rob Straczynski pulled it out and did it at the Advent Lessons and Carols event uh, at the St. Thomas Chapel with the liturgical choir. And and he asked me to craft some uh, uh, string quartet parts for it because... He had the strings available and said, just give me some string quartet parts. And and uh, he put, uh, I believe, John Seward up on the altar with his guitar to open it up. And uh, then the choir slowly came in, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. And uh, the, the point at which uh, Silent Night makes its appearance, Rob turned around to invite the assembly to join in on Silent Night. We all know what that moment is like. And Rob looked at me. I was sitting in maybe the third or fourth row of the the church at the time. He looked at me, and he had tears streaming down his his eyes. And uh, that was, I think, my witness of of a reaction to someone else. And I think from that point on, uh, the, the idea of people reacting to it for the first time is usually much more of an emotional one. Um, it's with that look on their face, Rob's t- the tear coming down Rob's eyes. Maybe this, oh, this sort of you know emotional ex- expression. Um, that's what I, I recall mostly. I, I have interestingly, I do get these this question once in a while. It's a rather funny one when people hear it. Uh, they they'll approach me, uh, usually people that don't know me, and they'll say, "Wow, you must have been." so surprised and so excited when you discovered that Night of Silence could be sung with Silent Night. 
and they, they, I mean, they genuinely think that that was just serendipity, and they had no idea that that would happen. And, and it, usually with those people, I say, yeah, I was pretty excited. Yeah. <laughs> and now, here is a recording of Night of Silence in its entirety. Cold are the people, winter of life, we tremble in shadows this cold endless night. Frozen in the snow, I
now we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Looking for a special one-of-a-kind gift for Christmas? Look no further. American icon Bing Crosby appears in one of his rare spoken word performances in the album The Bible Story of Christmas. Bing Crosby narrates the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke to carols in story order, sung by the St. Bonaventure Choir under the direction of Omer Westendorf. And it came to pass while they were there that the days for her to be delivered were fulfilled. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds in the same district living in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by them and the glory of God shone round about them and they feared exceedingly. This recording, originally published in 1957, was lost in the World Library Publications Archive for 60 years. With the assistance of Bing Crosby Enterprises, it is now available as an official Bing Crosby Archive release. Bing's spoken word performance is one for the ages. Bing Crosby's reading of The Christmas Gospel has not been released on any of his other albums and is exclusively on this release. You can find out more information and purchase a copy of The Bible Story of Christmas, narrated by Bing Crosby at www.wlpmusic.com. Welcome back, everyone. It is now time for the Open Your Hymnal playlist, the part of our show where we get to share with you additional music. Uh, Zach, I'm excited to hear what your first choice is for us. So Dan also talked a lot about uh, just writing choral music. And it just so happens that one of my other favorite pieces of Dan's is his song, God of Music, Guide Our Song, uh, with text by Adam Tice. Oh. 
lot about how uh, he honed the craft of using metaphor uh, in constructing the text for Night of Silence. And another song that comes to mind that I think does this beautifully is the song Warm the Time of Winter, uh, music by Laurie True with a text by Ruth Duck. When the wind of winter blows Bringing times of solitude Fill the silent icy night Be our heart's compassion Holy light, warm our night Warm the time of winter Holy light, warm our night Warm the time of winter When we shiver in despair When the chill of death comes near Hold a spirit, calm our fear While the evening deepens Holy light, warm our night Warm the time of fortuitous that you chose that piece, Zach, because the recording we heard was from the Christmas album Star Child, and my first pick is another track from that album. Um, This is a song composed by Grayson Warren Brown called When He Comes, and it's a great matchup of a wonderful, beautiful melody, a great challenging text. 
interspersed with Go Tell It on the Mountain. And perhaps my favorite part of all this is we get to hear the beautiful vocal stylings of our good friend Kate Cuddy. So please enjoy When He Comes. Sun will shine bright in its 
And I still tell people that, you know, when this time of year comes around, there are two Christmas albums that are always in constant rotation. The first, of course, is John Denver and the Muppets. And uh, the second is Star Child. So really good pick, Matt. And for my second and final pick, I decided to choose another Quode Libet, or Quode Libet. Um, this is from the composer Scott Soper. Um, he wrote an original melody and text called On the Lips of an Angel, and he overlays it against the Bach Gounod Ave Maria. So I hope you enjoy On the Lips of an Angel by Scott Soper. Thank you. 
listening to Open Your Hymnal, and special thanks to Dan Cantor for speaking with us. Night of Silence is published by GIA Publications. The recording you heard was released by GIA on the album Star Child. Links to this song, the other songs you heard, and additional resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and Google Play. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Zach Stahowski. And I'm Matt Reichert. Thanks for listening.